Radio Drone. It's another episode of Radio Drum. Almost at episode 100, and Brad is not joining us this week because of my internet situation. So unfortunately, for those that don't know, you can read last week's Sanity is Razor Thin to find out what my internet situation was, but I can't connect to Brad on Skype. So I went to the local soup kitchen and got someone who's not Charlie McMullen, but a different bum to drag up to be my co-host this week. It, it's very nice of you to take me out of said soup kitchen and, and allow me to come onto your radio show, Josh, using my equipment in my house picky, and picky. my internet to upload it. Hi, everybody. It's Scott from Lost in the Static. So You're not familiar with y- me. You have now been on the last three episodes. You started to take over Radio Drum now? I am. <laughs> I am pretty. You have been on the last three. <laughs> well, here's, here's what's going to happen. Since I'm coming over here, we'll move Brad to WTF and we'll take Jillian off WTF and put her on the other one. On Lost in the Static? Yes. The one that you forgot the name the of? One that I, I, the one that you do like every week? It's not like I normally hosted or anything. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> so go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME. Music videos. Not, not just music videos. When when you either have a major movie director that, and I, I'm using the terms that were used in the early 80s, slums it by going to music videos, or you have a music video director that then becomes a major name. In some cases, when you watch some of these old music videos by a director that has a very distinct visual style, you start to see that their style was present in those old music videos. And oh, yeah. sometimes as like one that I know we're going to point out doesn't look anything like what the director's film work looks like. Yeah, it's it's they and I was really surprised when you when you mentioned some of these to me and when you pointed them out, I was like, "Really? They they directed this? That's that's nuts." Let's go all the way back to the birth of music video. Now, those that are too young, those that are even our age don't even remember when music videos first started because we were so young. In the early seventies, they had music videos that were that were one of two things. It was either just a live performance, a multi-camera live performance, or it was a couple of guys just on a stage doing a mock live performance. Right. That was pretty much all the music. Look at a perfect example. Of that would be like. Black Sabbath, Iron Man, or Paranoid, or Alice Cooper's 18. Right, and these these were the videos that you didn't see them on TV too much, or and you didn't. Some see stations them or, used them as filler, as you know, filler, at, at like but, three in the morning. The movie got done eight yeah. minutes early, so you play Black Sabbath for eight but minutes. But the but the main the main circulation of these, if I remember right, was in the uh, in the clubs. Yeah, the it, early, it, it was the know. stuff that you'd play on a on a on a television at a dance club. Exactly. Do you know who we owe what we now consider the music video style of editing to? Um, it's a very, very huge named movie director. Orson Welles. Orson Welles? Orson Welles basically invented what we now consider the music video style. It was in his 1974 movie, F for Fake. 
It's a documentary. It's the, you and I have talked about it on Static before. It's a documentary with a brilliant plot twist at the one-hour mark. And I know that sounds weird saying there's a plot twist in a documentary. But, but no, I, I remember talking about this in Lost in the Static. The thing with the movie is it's not edited even remotely like a documentary. It's right. edited with quick cuts and lots of different angles and slow motion and fl- you know flowing wind machines and things like that. It's edited like what we would now call a music video. Now, in 1974. Really? It was that early? Yes. So it's one of those, holy crap, Orson Welles invented music video style editing, sort of. When music videos first started, they they were edited unlike a movie. In a movie, the editing, unless you're going for a specific kind of fast-paced, jarring, off-kilter feel... It's edited like a movie, for lack of a better term, right? Right. I mean, even in the 70s, even when we did the the exploitation with the car chases and everything like that, you still didn't see a whole lot of quick cuts. You'd have a good 10, 15-second shot of the cars coming down the road. My mind goes to bullet. Okay, I I see. My mind went to French Connection. French Connection would would work, but it, it, I'm thinking, especially with Bullet in the hills of San Francisco, epic car chase in there. It was just absolutely, you know, well, either that or or for another one, Vanishing Point. Yeah, I you can know, see that. You had some good long shots of this epic car chase going on, so we didn't really have that cut, 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 cut. Cut, cut style, which we kind of owe to, to to the French new wave of editing that came in in the late '60s. The French kind of brought in that quick cutting style a little bit in movies, but not to the degree that a music video would. So, did I'm just I'm just throwing this out there hypothetically. Did we see a maybe a French director go, I can make it in American films, and I will get started in music videos. Actually, it was the other way. It was some American directors and editors that saw some of these French films that were cut in, in, in sometimes like they would repeat a shot now and then, you know, you'd repeat a line of dialogue and then you'd make a jump cut to repeat a line of dialogue and things like that. And these were done. These were things that were considered mistakes that were done oh, intentionally. Okay, okay. And they saw that and they said, that gives it a very different feel than what an American movie generally feels like. And music videos leapt onto that. I, I've never understood the thought process of that, of all the quick cuts. Is it that, generally going for a teenage audience that they won't accept a longer shot that their I, attention span isn't there. I've never understood the I rationale. Think, I think the, uh, the whole rationale behind that, and I, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with this in any way, shape or form, but, uh, I believe the rationale behind it was that look at these kids today. Look at their video games. Look at all. Everything is, flashy and bloopy and bleepy and it we've got to hold their attention so we've got to make our movies instead of worrying about shot composition and making it look good or their music videos instead of making our you know worrying about a good shot composition and telling a story and everything like that we just make it really flashy and cutty and that way they're afraid they're going to miss something so they won't look away it's kind of a dumb rationale, but I can... I, it is, but it's the one that I've heard every time. And I've heard that from directors, too, going, yeah, you know, if I don't put a cut in every three seconds, they're just going to tra- change the channel. Which has gotten real endemic of bad filmmaking in the last decade. Look at a movie like 13 Ghosts. Really, Eli Roth? I wouldn't know at all. Now, I'm thinking more 13 Ghosts. 
That movie gave me a headache. Yes. I don't think more than four frames of that movie went by without a cut to a different angle or a different shot. That film is unwatchable in the in the ideal of watching it. And those those that I've talked to that are right in the demo they were going for, that 18 to 24 demo, they still couldn't stand it. They, yeah, I don't. You know. uh, and and a movie like 13 Ghosts, you had gorgeous production design, yes. original ghost makeups. You had an interesting thing about trapping and catching the ghosts with the the uh, the clear cells with yeah. the spells on them. And you couldn't see what the f*** was happening in the entire film. Well, I mean, Transformers, good good story behind it. Decent, no. halfway decent. No. Right. Okay. No. You had a story behind No, it. you didn't. A story? No. No. You had the potential for something really, really good. No. With a decent... No, not, not, with, not with the Transformers franchise. Oh, God damn it. After music videos started getting really big with MTV's rise, you started to see... It was still considered for a while a slum, a ghetto, that no respectable director would would direct a music video that well, yeah, this is know, where you go when you don't when you can't make movies exactly anymore. it's 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 for people who feel like retiring from making real movies so that they can pay the bills every now and, and that then. used to be where what they did with tv movies that's that where used, that, yeah. that, that's what that used to be and then it became music videos and then and then also music videos were also the the place where the art film students yeah because would cut their teeth to me music video is where if you got the right director, real experimentation could happen. Right. You they really were able to lose. Well, and the the music companies, really, they didn't know the difference. They didn't care. As long as you didn't go over budget, you arrived on schedule, and it wasn't a total disaster. Right. Well, and, and, and if the artist was a big name, if the artist didn't object to it, pretty much had carte blanche. Yeah. You, you, you pretty much had nothing to stop you from doing whatever you wanted as long as the artist wasn't going to stand in your way for it. And, and to tell you the truth, most of the artists didn't. I mean, a lot of this you can, you can watch and you can actually see not only the director's personality, which we, we talked about, coming out <laughs> in shot composition and lighting and effects and things like Production that. Production design. Production design. But you also saw... You you could almost picture the director sitting down with the band and going, okay, guys, this is what I want to do, and hearing them go, yeah, all right, that's cool, that's good, let's do that. Why do you, you know, automatically add British to when you because think for, of music? Because for some reason, when I think of... of I, you, I, you sound just like Ian Rotten of the Ian Rotten band from the Cheech and Chong movies. No, do you know where my head goes? Where? Spinal Tap. That's ex For some reason, I picture a, a band sitting down together and talking this crap out and you know it's supposed to be stonehenge which is huge and glorious and you, you got us a donut on a rope uh you know <laughs> all right but yeah for some reason my brain goes to spinal tap when thinking about a band getting together and talking about their video i remember when john landis did thriller which was the first thing that really broke music video not not into the mainstream but into the acceptable art form Thriller was that demarcation, that line that said, okay, now music videos are no longer just slumming it. 
It, real, it, real it people. was because yeah. thriller really was like a mini movie. You know, you had Vincent Price, you had the opening, you had the closing, you had the false scare of you not knowing it's a movie right off. You know that that Michael Jackson is watching off the bat. Mm-hmm. You had the really expensive production design, mm-hmm. and then there was the fallout from thriller. All of it good fallout. Well, unless you were a consumer, thriller was so popular. And you got to remember, it's what twelve, thirteen minutes long, yeah. something like that. If that, yes. That was the very first music video that somebody at the record company decided in a genius marketing move, let's put this on videotape mm-hmm. and sell it. And that was the first time a music video had been sold to the consumer. Right. Not not you see it on TV. You pay to see this. And then, which I think was kind of a douchey move, they separately released the 40-minute making of Thriller. I think that all should have been on the same videotape personally, but... You make more money selling it twice. Here's an interesting fact. Do you know the only other music video to even come close to the to the the sales numbers with Thriller? I I don't know this, but I'm going to guess something with Madonna. Yes, because I I, I was going to say I remember reading something about that in the early '90s that Madonna. I think it was it was the music video that was too hot for MTV to air, called "Justify My Love." Ah, I remember that. Yes, yes, you know, and uh, because of the S and M theme. Oh, there were S and M themes and all kinds of stuff, and and it makes me makes me kind of giggle now thinking of the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey. Had Justify My Love come out now, (laughs) it would just be plastered freaking everywhere. (laughs) It probably wouldn't even have been controversial at all. No, not at all. You, You know, so music videos when they started to get popular. You saw major directors willing to, I'll do a music video, especially during MTV's heyday of, say, 87 to 93, when they were a major force. You saw huge directors like David Lynch directing music videos. Well, I mean, first off, David Lynch had his own band. They're terrible, but they're out there. And so it would make sense that he would make videos. Uh, but, but, the, but, you know, he directed a Chris Isaac video. I mean, yes, he later worked with Chris Isaac. When you think Chris Isaac musically and David Lynch artistically, these are not two things that go together in your mind, do they? No, no. Uh, Chris Isaac isn't nearly odd enough. I mean, you could you almost see like a heavy metal band, maybe, or a punk band. That, at least thematically, would fit with what Lynch does. Although, although if you look at Twin Peaks... But this is, I think, pre-Twin Peaks. This, okay, but, I but believe. still, you can... If you look at Twin Peaks and you listen to the background music there, maybe Chris Isaac does fit. And I came up with a list of all the ones I could think of that had either a major director now or who was a major director at the time and went back to music videos or somebody who was just a music video director who became a major director later. Now, this list is not exclusive. I probably forgot a couple of majors and a couple of ones that the comment section is just going to go crazy on going, you dumbass. These are examples. Yes, these are the ones I could think of from my own viewing habits. You've got You Could Be Mine from Guns N' Roses, directed by Stan Winston. Okay, again, what would I know Stan Winston from? In case- Special effects for the Terminator movies, Aliens, director of Pumpkinhead. Now, wasn't there something, there was something odd, too, about the timing in that one. The the really cool thing about the You Could Be Mine music video was the fact that they'd released a teaser trailer for Terminator 2 at that point. 
it didn't show a whole lot of footage in it. And the, there's a ton of footage, including some that only ex- is from the director's cut in this music video. So you got to remember, no internet. You, maybe you got an image or two in, a, in Starlog or Cinema Fastique or something. For us to have been able to see all these, to us, unrelated clips from Terminator 2, one of the most hyped movies of all time at that point, that was a big goddamn deal. Oh, yeah. That was a big deal. And then the fact that it's a pretty decent Guns N' Roses song off their last good album, that just cements it even more. As far as GNR goes, yes. In fact, we watched these beforehand, and and I made a, a comment. I thought it was funny that it was interesting to see Axel when he was skinny. Yeah, <laughs> and he's moving around the stage instead of sloshing from exactly. side to side and falling off stage. It was weird. You know, and then you've got stuff like Catherine Bigelow, director of Strange Days. She also directed the accompanying music video of Skunk Asazi, I believe is how this band is pronounced. And the song is Selling Jesus. Not my style of music. And the direction actually gave me a headache. You want to talk that 13 Ghosts kind of editing? Yeah. That's one of those ones that's nonstop editing and flash frames. And it just drove me nuts. with, With Selling Jesus... I, I think it's Skunk Anansi, because Anansi is the... Anyway, the style that we see in that one, and, and that really was the... It, it fit with Strange Days, though, because Strange Days, the movie... Is pretty chaotic. Is pretty chaotic. And it, it's it, in Strange Days, you can, you can almost see that when it makes the jump, because it starts out pretty mundane and, and the movie editing that we were used to. And then as you approach the end of the film, it gets more and more chaotic. As the changing of the centuries is upon the characters and all this bad shit's going down at one time. Exactly. And you, and you see that in the music video too, where they will, they will use that stark lighting and the lead singer just happens to be a black woman and she has a white and cross on her face and she's bald. And so when she fades into the shadows... The only thing that's left to, that you can see real well the way it's is shot that is that cross. big white cross on her face. And they would negative that every once in a while and, and stuff and use a lot of strobes. That's what I, I said. It gave me a, it gave me a headache actually yeah. watching it. I've never understood the whole let, let, let's uh, send our audience into seizures kind of thing. I've yes. n- never gotten that. And then the next one on my list, you refuse to even watch the video. Nope. This is a Michael Bay music video through and through. And that is Meatloaf's I'd Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. The 12-minute music video. Within the first 10 seconds, you've got a helicopter silhouetted against a sunset. You've got a car chase. You have sweeping camera shots. Yep. You've got motorcycles. You've got cops being killed. You have a building explode. You've got sweeping camera moves with candle-filled rooms. This yeah. is a Michael Bay music video through and through. And and for some reason, Michael Bay and Meatloaf go well together. He, he did a couple other <laughs> Meatloaf music videos. Well, I, I'm going to... I'm going to say this, Scott. I actually own the Best of Meatloaf Volume 2 on Laserdisc, so I have the Michael Bay videos on Laserdisc. Well, that's cool. See, but but Meatloaf and Michael Bay go together really. Meatloaf's music, if you listen to Bad Out of Hell and Bad Out of Hell 2 and, and Bad Out of Hell 3 and Bad Out of Hell 478, he... The way that he sings, it's very epic. It's very theatrical. Yeah, it's very theatrical, almost operatic. It's got this epic... It's got that kind of a sound to it. And Michael Michael Bay has this epic, operatic 
melodramatic director style of that's you, you know make more crap explode. Well, well and, and think about it like this. Now, I, I don't think this is a hundred percent true. They're not that wrong though. That I do anything for love, but I won't do that has been called the most overblown song of all time. Yes, I, I it's up there. I don't yes. think it's the worst. It I think. Is. No, I think the Celine Dion t- Titanic song would probably best it. But close, close. I, I would call Celine a close, close second. But here's the thing: Michael Bay is one of the most overblown theatrical directors out there. They go together so perfectly, like peanut butter and jelly. Yes, you know those two things. And then you've got another Michael Bay directed video that's very un Michael Bay. What? what would and that, that is the Divinals. I touch myself. That's Michael Bay as well. And no. In a, in a weird way, some of the camera movements and, and the lighting does kind of scream Michael Bay. There's there's no helicopters in it. Nothing blows up. Nobody gets shot. Uh, there are certain things that don't feel Michael Bay about that video. It doesn't seem epic enough to be Michael Bay. But you're right. If you really pay attention to the lighting and, it, it feel, and again, it feels shot like composition, a it feels like a Bay production. You know, And then you've got, and I'm not going chronologically on my list here, You've got Thriller by John Landis, which I'll be honest, and I, I do like the video. I'm not bashing John Landis's direction at all. The video doesn't feel John Landis. To me, Thriller feels more like Joe Dante. It just has more of that kind of playful, throwback 50s-style feel that Joe Dante is so perfect at. You know, you're right. You have a point. And to me, it just always felt more Joe Dante than it did John Landis. He had his name, obviously, before he made the Thriller video. That's how he got attached to it, right? Yeah, American Werewolf in London and Blues Brothers. Exactly. Now, what about after the Thriller video? Did Was he offered more films, less films? Yeah, he actually went to go kill Vic Morrow in uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, after that. Or, or actually, no, he might have killed Vic Morrow right before that. Because I think Thriller came out in 84, and Twilight Zone, the movie, was made in 83. So he might have already killed Vic Morrow by that point. And looking at Twilight Zone, the movie, you could almost... Now now that's a comparison that I can see. Somehow those two seem to fit. The Thriller and Twilight. Yeah, like, thriller like that was the, his style in 83, 84? Exactly, exactly. The, I, you, I can see that, yeah. You know, I can, I can see the Landis in both of those. Sure. But I just, to me, that's, that's more Joe Dante. But that's just a personal opinion. Then after that, you've got, I don't see much of this director's style in it, but you've got Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself, directed by Toby Hooper. At that point, he hadn't done the Invaders from Mars remake or Life Force or anything like that. This is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Eaten Alive, Toby Hooper. And it's a very sci-fi post-apocalyptic music video. So in that regard, like when we were watching it, you pointed out, you can see certain touches yeah, of certain, Toby Hooper in that. It, and more than, more than in the lighting or the shot composition with that one, but in the, mainly in the, in the set and uh, production and prop design, you can see those, those touches of horror. Definitely with the lighting and, and costuming and it's got and like I think this the story, orange, it's, it's got like this orange purple hue to everything to everything and then and then it'll switch to a green hue for a little while so it it's got that post apocalyptic feel to it but if you if you pay attention to the set design and little props here and there you definitely get his horror feel and see I just didn't I didn't see a lot of the Toby Hooper in that 
And then you've got one that you and I were both surprised. We hadn't seen this video since we were kids. You've got George Michael's One More Try, directed by Tony Scott. First of all, it does feel like Tony Scott. The lighting, the way the shots, the I should say the shot is yeah. set up. Smoke, and, lights. And the, the damn thing goes two minutes and nine seconds without cutting. Not for a, a yeah. music video, that's a long time to not make an edit. Well, nowadays, for a movie, that's a long time not to make an edit. But I think that was part of what made Tony Scott Tony Scott. He was trying something different. Well, it still feels like, lighting-wise, that could have fit in with, with The Hunger, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But thematically, I don't know if I'd pair Tony Scott with George Michael, especially it's almost, a, it's even a slower, it's not even one of the more poppy George Michael songs. So you kind of, I don't know if those two were a right fit. I, I, I'm i not sure, but this also was during the time when George Michael was trying to rebrand himself. This is around post-wham. The, yeah. Po, well, not just post, because post-wham he had that hit in Father Figure and a few others with that, that uh, first I, I, the, solo the, the album. The I Want Your Sex album? Yes, the I Want Your Sex album. I like that video, by the way. It's, it's a great video. After that, these are, you know, he was he was trying to step away from that. He's trying and to be goes, more serious. Yeah, he goes, you know, I'm, I've done my kid stuff. I've done my kid solo stuff. I'm an adult now. I have this grown-up beard. And, and he's going to go blow cops in <clears> bathrooms. <throat> Yeah, you know, <laughs> apparently you know, that's his thing. And then we've got a whole string by a now very famous director. Yes and no, depending on the video, you can totally see their style. Janie's got a gun from Aerosmith, directed by yeah, David Fincher. Uh, you can see, you it. can see it. You can see, and, and and that whole video is almost constructed like it's a mini movie. Yeah, it's a great video. I mean, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the song, but yes, it's it's a great video. Yeah. And it's constructed like it's a movie. Then on the other hand, you've got Vogue from Madonna directed by David Fincher. And you go, that really doesn't feel like David Fincher. No, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, channeling Ter- Terry Gilliam, honestly. Yes. Yes. He was. Cause I, I believe Terry Gilliam directed that, not David Fincher. Right. So, and then you've got him doing straight up by Paula Abdul, which you and I disagree on this one. I don't really see the David Fincher in it, but you said you do. I do. The slightly out of focus, the high contrast. I mean, this was... She's kind of like a black gray against an almost stark white background right, dancing. That, that throughout her dance, it, you, she'll either be dancing in front of a stark white or stark black background. This came out in the early 90s when we started to see things like Natural Born Killers and stuff where you really see the contrast and the colors in lighting and in the film just pop out at you. Uh, this was done in that kind of a pop style with black and white. And I can I can see the David Fincher in it. Slightly out of focus, a lot of bloom. And my thing is, while I'm not a Paul Abdul fan at all, it's a very experimental video. It's, it's using lots of negative colors to contrast one another. It's very experimental, and you probably wouldn't be able to do that in a film outside of... I mean, the only film I can think of that does that kind of stark-ass white at that time would have been THX 1138, and even that had so many scenes that didn't take place in the white rooms. And if you and if you pay attention, even in Paul Abdul... I mean, you can see the Fincher because I have a feeling the director looked at it and went, okay, how can I create something using basically negative space? Basically nothing. Yeah. 
basically nothing, basically using negative space, you know, space, negative space projecting up into nothing and, and make still a decent show video and still show Paul a yeah, dance. Exactly. Yeah. So you had, you had Fincher do a whole bunch of those. And then I don't like or dislike this director, but Spike Jones, you know, I you take him or leave him. I'm not a Beastie Boys fan, but I love the video for Sabotage because, I mean, come on. Look what show look what show we're on here. It's a throwback to 70s cop movies. And they caught, that's brilliant. Yeah, they captured the feel of it. Beautifully. Even the film is is just a little bit grainy mm-hmm. and and kind of mm-hmm. washed out. You know, they've all got the very 70s wigs and the 70s car and and the 70s mustaches and It's a very yeah. 70s throwback and I really do appreciate that. And then you've got the one that you were you, the one that you said you couldn't see anything from what the, you know the director from in this video that's bad religions 21st century digital boy video is directed by gore verbinski who'd go on to the ring american remake and pirates of the caribbean and this video does not feel gore verbinski whatsoever it honestly and i know you brought this up when we were watching it you said it feels more cronenbergian cronenbergian it feels more cronenbergian or or you you watch it and, you, and with you I agree it's it's very it, it's very videodromey. Well, see, because it's it, it's basically a little baby watching a television with the band members flolicking around in liquid static. If yes. that makes sense, if that's really the only way I can describe it. <laughs> that's really the only way it can be described, Scott. You know? Yeah. There's there's no there's no that's a good description and i'd i'd love to know how they did it because you guys got to remember this is really early 90s no cg because this is i think even pre-terminator 2 so cg was still ungodly expensive and could only do so much and they're rolling around in liquid static which scott and i were discussing it could only have been done probably because the band members are all painted pure blue and what they would have had to do is probably had them rolling around in like a kiddie pool with milk colored green yeah. to use as a green screen and then just green screen in the static, which would follow the ripples of the water. That's yeah. the only way I can think that they did that. And the way that you can see artifacts of, you know, for instance, the... somebody will have like it running down their chest and it, you can see the green. Yes. And you can, and you can see droplets yet when they, when they sit up because this appears to have been, it appears to have been filmed down from above as if the band was on their backs just, looking just up at rolling the camera, in the just pool. rolling around in the kiddie pool. So the only way I could see it, like I, like you said, was, was colored milk. I don't know how. But that also brings out the inventiveness. Had you ever seen anything like that before? No, no. Outside of maybe those few scenes in Videodrome? No. That's the kind of eye you look for. And that's the kind of thing I think might have gotten Verbinski work later, that they went... This was really original. You know, how'd you come up with this? And then they go, we want you to take care of our movie. And, and, yeah, and that was a major, major flip because, again, back in the 80s during the New Wave days, even in the, you know, for instance, Safety Dance. Um, and stuff I don't remember like the that. video for that. Safety Dance. I mean, I remember the, the song, but not the video. So the video was basically they walked around a renaissance fair singing safety dance with a bunch of midgets. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the, like shots of like the Irish aisles and, yeah, and, okay. and, and stuff like that. That was about as, as inventive as you got. 
most videos back then, even after they moved off of the stage production, it was it was things like Mick Jagger and David Bowie in sharp suits dancing around on a street. Yeah, and it was, it, it was just basically show the band, not try something different. Or you had the opposite direction, and this does still tie into movies because Bill Paxton is in the music video, Pat Benatar's Love Battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I get the metaphor, Battlefield. Her in a chroma keyed World War II bomber shooting at things while singing about love as a battlefield. I don't know. You're kind of stretching the metaphor there, music video director. But but again, toward toward the end, toward the fall of the music video at the at the beginning of the '90s and such, that's when you had a lot of directors and again art house students who cut their teeth because everybody thought it was slumming it, and then suddenly people started paying attention to the music videos and wow, that's where you could really experiment and get away with it. And, and I think like going back to the Verbinski thing, that's where the studios were looking for the people who were trying something different. Yes, it, a music video is basically a three-minute mini-film performance art. And if you do it right, you can find the really creative people in that. I do not see this director's style whatsoever in, again, what turned out to be one of the biggest videos of the 90s, Michael Jackson's Bad, directed by Martin Scorsese, and with Wesley Snipes as a gang member. I just do not see Scorsese's style in this video. No one gets shot. And even if they did, the blood probably wouldn't look like Kool-Aid, like out of Taxi Driver. True. But, you know, the, the one place that I do see it, and I, I don't know if this is because of where the location that they shot it or... That, like, underground garage. Or if or if Scorsese just kind of put his eye toward it and put his New York eye to it and went, no, it doesn't... It's not New Yorky enough. Make it more New Yorky. Is, at least in the set design and in a lot of the production design, if you completely wipe out Michael and the dancers, they're in New York. And there is no... There's no absolutely no denying that which that's the one place that i see scorsese's style okay i i just i don't see that there then we've got princes of the universe by russell mulche which let's face it, it it's just queen dancing in front of the silver cup sign from the highlander movie the first highlander film but it works it's freddie mercury so it's still it's, it, it's queen so it's awesome yes and then you know, intercut scenes from the movie, too. Yes. And I, I made a joke when we were watching it that considering that they destroyed that set in the movie, they probably shot the video first, since it's clearly the same set. Probably. <laughs> and then you've got all these David Lynch ones, like Crazy Clown Time, Wicked Game, Rockin' Back Inside My Heart, and just weird crap that David Lynch does. Yeah, and with the exception of Wicked Game, which was Chris Isaac, the rest of these that you mentioned were... David Lynch and his and but like you pointed out when we watched them right from frame one oh yeah you could tell this is David Lynch it looks like David Lynch it feels like David Lynch in fact I forget which one we were talking we were watching but it had audio over a black screen at first and I just looked at Josh and I had never seen this video before and I went well this is David Lynch that means we'll have video in three two one and, and the video pops right <laughs> yeah. up yeah and but yeah i mean from frame one they just scream david lynch especially crazy clown time yes that's just a messed up video yes. my 
God, that woman's boobs. I was going to say, was that the epic booby video? That was the epic booby video. Those things were natural, too. Oh, even better. I just... And and then you've got ones, the other two on my list are by the same director. Stylistically, they're both different, but the same, if that makes any sense. And they're both by Richard Stanley. One is Fields of the Nephilim's Preacher Man, which the music video could have been a side piece to the movie Hardware. It's got the same lighting, the same production design, the same smoke effects, the the same everything. It feels like it's a, a companion piece yeah, to they, hardware. Yeah, they're just they're perfect side by side. You're like ah ah. He, Definitely Richard Stanley did that one. That one did that one, and yeah, it's the same. Well, guy. and then Carl McCoy of Fields of the Nephilim is in the movie Hardware as well. So there there's that connection too. And then you've got his other one, which is Public Image Limited's The Body. There are parts that definitely feel Richard Stanley, and there are parts that don't. Yeah, it's it was it was weird watching it because you watch the first few minutes, you're like, really, this is Richard Stanley? Ah, there it is. That's it. Okay, now it's gone. Where? Yeah, I have a feeling that was probably the sh- most of the shots were being called by John Lydon. You know, like, hey, I want this. And then he let Stanley deal with the technical aspects. See, but again, that that Public Image Limited one that I brought up, or that that you showed me, brings up again. It's one of those videos where you can see the director, and you can see the influence of the band. Hopefully, a collaboration and not a battle. Like you know, Stanley shot his version, Leiden shot his version, and they just edited them together. Hopefully, right. a intentional collaboration between the two parties. You hope. Now, I know you're not a Nine Inch Nails fan. Not at all. Yeah. But uh, one of the videos that always comes to my brain when you mention Nine Inch Nails and when you talk about videos that really made an impact on on culture. filmmaking and culture, especially the filmmaking side, is, is Closer, uh, done by Mark Romanek, where we knew one that. One-hour photo. Yeah, one-hour photo, which you can you can see a lot of the shots, but I'm I'm wondering if that particular video because if you watch the video for closer with all of the weird nine inch nailsy type stop motion animation and stuff going on and it was also you know closer was also used for the title sequence of the movie seven a lot of that kind of lighting and a lot of that kind of feel from from the the music video closer works into seven i wonder how much music videos in the time affected even other directors even though they had nothing to do with I'm I'm not so I'm not sure. I mean, maybe there's the fact that Fincher came from a music video background, you know, who knows if it's his past crossed with Romanek at some point and you know, they they exchanged ideas on how to shoot something or, you know, who knows. A, a great example in a in a movie of just how weird music video directing can be is have you ever seen the movie Tape Heads? With, no. with with John Cusack and Tim Robbins? No. There's a scene where they they film the music video for the Blender children who all accidentally get killed when a meteor hits them. So they've now got their last music video. And before that, they had filmed a funeral. And they accidentally lay the Blender children music over the over the video of the funeral and it's considered genius and like nothing that had ever been done before and so thematically perfect to what happened there's also that it could just be mistakes too this you know true. it could just be dumb luck that some of this stuff happened and that's not me taking away anything from these directors but i'm just saying now and then you it's dumb luck into stuff 
but it just it seems like at least to me looking looking at influential films of the 90s at least when you look at natural born killers when you look at seven when you look at so many of these it almost it begs the question did did the films influence the music videos because if you look at them side by side regardless of who directed what they have a similar feel you can definitely go oh yes. that, that's the 90s <laughs> yes you know even even now you take a a modern film and you lay it side by side to a a music video now and you're like aha 20 well, no, you know. I, I, uh, I recently I recently thought that myself. I picked up the two-disc special edition of New Jack City. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a rap fan, but they had the New Jack Hustla music video from Ice-T as one of the extras. Okay. And I'm watching that. I don't know. I don't know if that was directed by Mario Van Peebles or not. But my God, that video and that movie go together. That That's just like the way things were shot in the inner cities of New York City. The New Jack Hustla video fits with New Jack City stylistically that those are little time capsules of rap and hip hop in the early nineties. They just really, really are. Yeah. I can understand that. You know, you know, which, you know, what's also really weird. Okay. We, we talked about how thriller was the first music video to be sold. Do you know what the first movie to include the accompanying music video was nightmare on Elm street, three dream warriors, really? the, the dock and video was included after the movie. And that was the first time that it had been done that, you know, the an extra in quotes for the movie is the accompanying music. Really? So yeah, Dokken set a set a precedent for us. So what what happened to the movie tie in video? I think when music videos <clears throat> just died in general, they they stopped mattering. Well, I mean, even you don't even really get the movie tie in song that much anymore. For instance, uh, one of the biggest grossing films of of ever ever. Of course, I mentioned that people's minds go to Titanic. And we had that Celine Dion song that was just flipping everywhere. As much as you hate it, just try and get it out of your head. I know, I know. Freaking earworm, that one. But then you, let's stick with James Cameron, Avatar. That had a music video? What was the accompanying song? I have no clue. Yeah, me either. Because I didn't even know there was one. Because well, first of all, I hated Avatar, which should surprise nobody. Of course you did. The... <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. We're, we're, we're losing the tie-in song. You've always got the theme. For instance, Lord of the Rings, Pirates of the Caribbean. You've got that symphonic theme right. behind it that really sits. But you don't see the tie-in pop song much anymore outside of, like, Disney movies. And I don't mean... You're talking like the Lizzie McGuire stuff? Yeah, the Lizzie McGuire stuff. They're, they're The ones that are built around a the, pop song. Exactly. But yeah, I think I think it died when music videos died in general. Because I think music videos, and this isn't the right word, but it's the only word I can think of that fits, became too decadent and people stopped caring. There's there's two really rare videotapes from the 90s to try and find that are so informative. They're called Rock Video Girls 1 and 2. And they're all those, you know, like the dancing girls in all these rock videos sure. talking about the videos and like what all the stuff that you didn't see and all the outtakes of them that there's one. And after they show the outtake, I watch the video and you can see right where it's about to happen too. She's crawling all seductively uh, across a blue underlit sawhorse. Okay. It falls over and flips over on her and broke her teeth. Oh, 
And you can actually see in the video where it starts to flip and then they cut to something else. Oh. Or, or like there was this one bad hair metal video where this girl was in like a clear tank, like out of something out of one of the Saw movies Mm -hmm. that's filling up with water. And, you know, she's pressing her wet T-shirt up against the glass and stuff. And the director comes up to her at one point. How would you feel if we filled this with baked beans? (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, no, no, that you got to talk to my agent. No, not doing this. And I think that's the kind of goofy decadence that killed the music video that just let's step up one more step. So uh, that <laughs> that's a true story. I can find the, the audio if necessary of her saying that. I, I, I will do this. Listeners of Radio Drome, please. You, I, get, I issue little challenges like this to listeners of Lost in the Static every now and again. But listeners of Radio Drome, here's your challenge in the next week. You have to work in the phrase, how would you feel if we filled that up with baked beans <laughs> into some conversation somewhere? Well, and then the other thing about music videos was America was so restrictive. I've got a two Laserdisc set called Uncensored Music Videos of all the videos, I mean, there are hair metal bands, there are pop bands, there are new wave bands. These things are, have copious amounts of nudity. One has hardcore sex in it. Part of you says, why would you even make that knowing it's never going to air on MTV? And then part of you goes, oh, duh, because America is not the only market. The Brits allow that kind of shit. Which, again, makes me wonder, what was the big deal about Madonna's Justify My Love? Exactly. Because we're all so censorious about that. SSQ, Screaming Into My Pillow, I think is one of the first ones on this. One of the very first shots, maybe four, six seconds in, there's a couple screwing on a bed. Full nudity. Sweet. And you just go, yeah, this was never going to see air on MTV, ever. No. They never intended it to. Well, there's always, I mean, we've, we've seen this more than once, where there's the UK version of blah and the US version of blah. And the U.S. version of blah looks blah, blah in comparison, yeah. So it's kind of like that, that I I think some music video directors just preferred not being told, you know, I'm not making this for the American audience. You can cut it later. I'm just, I'm making this and that's it. But I think music video fell because it became too decadent. Like I said, that baked beans analogy is is the perfect way to go. Why Why would you even think that? Why would the video need that? You're, you're already pressed tits that are probably going to get censored or blur blobbed out anyway. Right. Now you want to do that same thing with baked... Why? What's the point? That it just kind of got too decadent and people stopped caring. MTV stopped showing music videos. So music video budgets went down. Nowadays, honestly, it's a dead art form. Or, okay, not dead. Let me rephrase that. A dying art form. It's definitely going to have to change in order to survive. Because remember back in the 90s, oh my God, did you see the new video by uh, uh, uh yeah. on MTV? Now it's the YouTube channel for such and such band has their new video. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. It's now, not I, even a big deal anymore. See, but then I'm, I'm going to fight you with that one on, on one example. Okay. I, and I think that if a, a well-made video with something that truly does stand out to people will make its way to the top even on YouTube and the band I'm going to mention is okay go because whether you like their music or not they had the treadmill dancing one which was certainly enough to kind of bring them to the forefront and then just recently they had that huge 
uh, Rube Goldberg machine video that they did. And I See, th- that just reminds me of Rocket from the 80s, the Rocket video. Where can we find the bum from the soup kitchen? The bum from the soup kitchen can be found, of course, right here on Jackalope at Lost in the Static. If you like what I say and hate what Josh says, that's the most perfect of show for you. Which, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but most everybody's on my side. Yeah, Lost in the Static, you can catch us Saturday nights at You don't even know what time Central. we're on, do you? I, I record. Saturday nights at 7 p.m. Central, yeah. yes. Saturday nights at 7 p.m. Central, Lost in the Static on, on iTunes. Also, another pagan podcast available on iTunes if you're interested in the spiritual side of life. and No one is. 1201beyond.com. Use the Amazon links on there. 1201beyond at gmail.com. Weekly column, Sanity is Razor Thin at Geek Juice Media. And if you guys want to find out about my internet situation, that's where you go. The Shadows of Pop Culture in Scene Magazine. So anything you want to say about music videos before we go out? I'm glad I was around at the time that I was around to kind of see the rise and fall of these. It was, it was a fun, decadent journey. Yeah, we saw a lot of really hot girls in those. Tawny Katane. No, Tawny was never really all that hot. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next week. Well, I will. You're not going to be here. Well, okay, you'll see him next week, and I will see you in Lost in the Static. And Brad will be back.
Turns to lingo, fade for a while Now you're mounting for your body 